This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Thank you as always for tuning in. I'm hoping you're well, just as the season is reaching its climax. Although I still can't get my head around the fact that the Premier League still has a month left. Although the Championship, Leagues 1 and 2 are almost done and dusted. But like the Premier League, the FA Cup final is still a fair way off. Saturday, June the 3rd this year. Of course, it is all a knock-on effect from the World Cup. The Cup final will be played in its usual home, Wembley. And that brings me on to the subject of this episode. I'll come on to my special guest very soon. But as you may be aware, this year... 2023 is Wembley Stadium's 100th year. Remarkable achievement. Although I I should add, there's a little caveat there. Um, Of course, there was a gap between October 2000, when England took on Germany at the Twin Towers, that dull and damp day, uh, and March 2007, where England's under-21s took on Italy's under 21s underneath the arch i seem to remember the italians scoring within 30 seconds that day uh, that england germany game and the england italy won two games that i was at of course that gap was whilst the new stadium was being built but let me take you back to april the 28th 1923 the first fa cup final to be hosted at Wembley. A final between Bolton Wanderers and West Ham United, often referred to as the famous White Horse final. This because the crowd was so big, officially with an attendance of 126,000, but it's thought that it was more 150,000. And apparently, at the time, the police put it down as double that. 300,000. So with such a vast crowd, a huge amount of them encroached onto the pitch before kickoff. So in order to push back the spectators and get the game underway, police on horseback were utilised. And one of those was a light grey horse, Billy, being ridden by PC George Scorey. And in amongst all the flat-capped spectators and dark horses, Billy stood out the most. And as it was in the days of black and white footage, he comes across as white, and he's the standout figure amongst the chaos. Bolton, well, they would go on to win the final 2-0. And since then, it has been the go-to venue for some of the biggest outdoor events in the country. Next time you're coming down the steps of Wembley Park Station... Head underneath the Bobby Moore Bridge and just as you get onto Wembley Way or Olympic Way, facing the stadium on your left hand side is a wall 
and on it is a timeline of some of these epic events that Wembley Stadium has hosted. Let me take you through some of them. 1948, the 11th Summer Olympics. The stage was set and the nations awaited the royal proclamation. I proclaim open the Olympic Games of London, celebrating as the 14th Olympiad of the modern era. 1963, a boxing bout between Cassius Clay, before he changed his name to Muhammad Ali, and Henry Cooper. He picked up a golden cardboard crown left over from some pantomime, stuck it on his head and proclaimed, I am the king. That night, in the open air of Wembley Stadium, Henry Cooper and Cassius Clay face each other for a fight which was so remarkable, people still joyfully discuss it today. 1966, every England game, including the World Cup final. And here comes Hurst, he's got some fiddler on the pitch, they think it's all over. It is now. 1975, motorcycle stunt rider Evil Knievel crashed whilst trying to land a jump over 13 single-decker city buses. At the time, the American stunt rider Evil Knievel was a major star on both sides of the Atlantic, and he came over to England to attempt to jump 13 red buses on his Harley-Davidson bike. Such was Knievel's box office appeal that a crowd of 90,000 was inside Wembley for the big day on May the 26th, 1975. 1982, it hosted an open-air mass of Pope John Paul II. 1985, hosted the famous Live Aid concert. It's 12 noon in London, 7am in Philadelphia. And around the world, it's time for Live Aid. 16 hours of live music in aid of famine relief in Africa. Wembley welcomes their Royal Highnesses, the Prince and Princess of Wales. 1990, Nelson Mandela attends a charity concert there. 1996, it hosts every single England game, including the Euro 96 final. Then there's been Speedway and Greyhound Racing, Baseball, American Football, Rugby League 2. Michael Jackson, Madonna, The Rolling Stones, Oasis, Coldplay and Ed Sheeran have all sold it out. And as of the 28th of April, on the footballing front, it's a venue that has overseen 309 England senior men's matches and 10 England senior women's matches at the stadium. And this year's FA Cup final will be its 94th, including replays. So who better to give us an insight into our national stadium than managing director Liam Boylan, who I'm delighted to say joins me now. Hello, Liam. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Um, in my normal residence, um, sat in my office overlooking the pitch, but yeah, um, in a good place. People won't be able to see this, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm seeing Liam as he's, he's looking over the, the Wembley pitch and the sun's just sort of distorting it in the background. But uh, what, what an office, what an office. Managing director of Wembley Stadium, that's, that's quite a position. How did that come about? 
Um, it's it's kind of a, a journey of left turns. Um, so if you go back very quickly, um, my life, um, born in Dublin, um, but raised in Manchester from the age of two. Um, and so very, very far away from Wembley. It was a distant dream. It was just something I watched on TV. Um, so I was born in 69, so I kind of went through 70s and 80s of watching uh, a Manchester United fan for my sins. Um, yes, we are from Manchester. Um, but um, kind of watching United in the old FA Cup and then seeing Live Aid in 1985. Um, and then I, to escape um, the council estate, I was from the same council estate as Marcus Rashford uh, from Withenshaw. And to escape, I joined the RAF. Uh, I was in the RF police for nine years. Um, when I came out of there, it was my left turn that that sort of got me towards where I am now. Um, I joined Manchester Arena. Um, it only just opened, so this is 1996. Worked there for five years. Um, and then I was offered the chance to go touring. So all the bands and artists that were coming into the arena, did I want to go that side of the fence and help organise their tours? So I... I toured um, for a music promoter for 14 years. And during that time, I was putting shows on at Wembley. So my first show that I organised was the Foo Fighters in 2008. Um, And then that got followed up by organising Take That, One Direction, Green Day, um, all sorts, quite eclectic of what you're doing. But got to see this, uh, to work within Wembley and start to get that buzz from what Wembley was about. And... I married, my wife is from Surrey, but met her up in Manchester and has um, cleverly moved me down here, uh, as they do. He said, well, I want to be in Manchester forever. Yeah. So we moved to Surrey and um, and Wembley got w- got wind of that and uh, came to me a couple of times to see if I would consider coming to work at the venue uh, to jump to that side of it. So it was 2014. I'd just done the One Direction tour and at the end of it, um it made sense. And to be honest, I'm very romantic about this place. I'm very passionate about what Wembley is, is this national stadium. I think it wasn't being run that well. Um, it was a bit clunky in areas of understanding what the stadium should be. You'd walk into the office spot where I'm in now, the office area, and it could be an office area in the West Mints. There was nothing that told you you were in Wembley other than this view through there, but there was no identity outside. So I kind of wanted to change this culture so people understood what this place meant because I'd grown up and, you know, Wembley was, it was iconic in, in name, but also just in stature. It was 200 miles away, but it was prevalent. It was part of my growing up and all those things. And and I always wanted my team to understand that and that people are coming here for so many reasons. You know, it's on a bucket list. Their team has made it here for that reason. There's an artist they want to see, but purely it boils down to escapism. You know, people want escapism from whatever nonsense is going on in the world outside. You're going into an entertainment venue. And Wembley, for me, was central to that. So to get this, to take this job here was, and it sounds cliche, but truly was an honour. And it was like, hey, this is Wembley Stadium. You know, and it's just that thing of that you want to work here. So, yeah, it's a long route with many left turns, but this is where I've ended up and I absolutely love it. Amazing. I mean, we, we as football supporters sort of recognise Wembley as being a football stadium, but as you rightly say, it is a, a music venue. It's a venue that 
um, has loads of other events there. Um, and I'd, I'd like to touch on that um, in a moment. But the reason sort of I, I've wanted to, to get in touch with you is because this year, 2023, is Wembley's 100th <coughs> anniversary, 100th birthday, which is an amazing sort of milestone achievement. I just wondered if you can tell us about that, if there's anything that's on the horizon, what what you're celebrating for the next, or for the particular day, the, the coming weeks and months. Yeah, it's it's that thing in 1923, um, for those who know the history, you know, it was built as part of a, um, an exhibition and it, it had a, um, a lifespan of just a couple of years because it was literally just been built for that. And, um, and then a Scotsman of all people um, right. decided that, do you know what, we could turn this into a business. And it's from there, it's, as you said, moving through history, it, it's had all of these points in people's lives. But, you know, he put the, the thing that kept Wembley going wasn't football. It was greyhound racing. That's right. what he put into. That's what gave it the the baseline of an economy that was coming in that helped them to carry on. Because it is a thing if you look at Wembley and you look at compared to say other stadiums, the calendar is. If you didn't have other events in there, you'd just be doing things for well the sixteen football events a year, roughly right. uh, on average coming in, and that's between mixture of England international men's and women's now, which is brilliant, um, and then obviously cup finals and playoffs. So you're not going to keep a stadium going with just 16 events a year. It's just not economically viable. Yeah. So that's that's what he did on that. So he opened it up to being that multi-purpose. So the centenary, it's really important to recognise what Wembley has done throughout all of those years to remain, to remain here, to remain constant in what it is. You know, we we now got to that point that we're coming up to the the hundred year, which will be on the 28th of April. And it's important for us to recognise that. It's important for us to talk to people and look through their lens of what it is. So that let's let's see the history through their stories. So we, you know, we'll talk to, um, we'll we'll basically honour stars of you know football, of sport, of music, and everything that's that's kept Wembley where it is to be this this iconic stadium. But to also just to exist, you know, on that side of things, because it can be a challenge economically to make sure that you keep your head above water, you know, on that side of things, because we were owned, obviously, the Football Association, so we're non-for-profit. So the idea isn't to fill some stakeholders' pockets, it's to put money back into grassroots football. So you're looking for all of these things. And this, the 100 years tells you that story. You just look at that, just that timeline of what all those events were, what they meant to people, but they just, that's the bit for us is to look at that side of things. Um, also recognising it with the community. So we've got a lot of events that are going to go on. Um, you'll see a lot of things in the press as we hit April the 28th on that side, but it's an, it's a one year celebration. So we'll do things with the community and you see this more and more with football grounds that, you know, they're very pivotal in their community and it's really important. And it's the same for Wembley, you know, we, we can't be this, I once described us as we can't be um, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory that people from who live close by see all of these gates closed but are aware that there's some sort of magic happening on the inside. You've yeah. got to make sure people see that from the community and you get them inside and you involve them. And the celebrations allows us to do that as well. So 
yeah, it's we're very, very proud that it is a hundred years. And yes, it's two stadiums, but it's it's Wembley Stadium, and people will always know that. And there are stories for the old, stories for the new. Um, there are those points. Like for me, as a as I've recently worked out, Generation X, it's all on what generation you are. Um, for for my age group, the sort of late 70s, 80s into sort of the Euro 96, that's my sort of period of like wow, it just drags me back to all of those moments that I can pinpoint exactly how old I was, where I was, what I was watching, whether I was at Wembley, whether I was watching on TV, whether I'd be listening on the radio. And when I was in the RAF overseas, listening to something on the radio, it all goes back to those points in history. So 100 years allows you to look at all of that. Yeah, it's amazing. that I'm, I'm thinking of my first recollection of Wembley, and you've already mentioned it, and I... Whilst I, I remember watching cup finals, it was a tradition that I'd watch with my granddad. Um, the first cup final I remember watching was the 87 League Cup final between Arsenal and Liverpool, which in turn I, made me become an Arsenal fan. Um, but my earliest recollection of Wembley was actually a couple of years earlier and Live Aid. I remember sort of my parents sort of saying, this, this is a big event and watching it on the telly and seeing all these music stars of of the time then playing Wembley and seeing those overhead shots um of the old stadium so I don't know what, I don't know what generation yeah. that makes me no I think I think you're in my generation so I think it's that that's the thing it's that my my first memory was a bad memory and um I still claim an offside goal in the 1976 FA Cup final with Southampton um <laughs> but that's my first memory unfortunately the following year, um, I watched United stop Liverpool doing the double. And it so you have those. And then you're right, when I got to Live Aid, I didn't know what was going on. It was I didn't know Wembley did concerts. They'd have they've been doing concerts since like 1972. I think I think there was something in 69, but realistically they've been doing them since then. No. But they for someone up in Manchester, they were never on my radar because you know broadcast didn't cover it. And you just you weren't aware. So when Live Aid happened, it was like what the hell is going on? And then you're watching, like you said, all of those stars. And I totally agree, those aerial shots, you suddenly got this crowd all on the pitch. And that was that was my awakening to this is a genre that I'm not aware of when it comes to live entertainment. I've just literally seen football. Again, where, you, where I grew up in South Manchester, you didn't go into the city centre. You just didn't go near there. So when, while there were concert venues and famous ones, they weren't on my radar. You just didn't go near it. Mine, my whole growing up was football. It yeah. was just football, everything about that. Then all of a sudden, Live Aid was like, oh, wait a second, there's something else going on. So, yeah, I agree that they they have those moments for yourself, which, which mark your life points. Yeah. Well, as managing director, um, I, I imagine you're in charge of a – quite a vast amount of people who are in turn probably in charge of quite a vast amount of people for a capacity event at Wembley be it a a music concert or a a cup final or an England international how many people are involved in putting an event on such as one of those so we we've got the the core staff that I have in the Wembley division um, there is about, um, from actually working for the FA, um, there are about 100 people, um, and that's split across about 18. So that's everything from um, the people who work with me are the grounds team, 
Um, so they, they're here more than I am. They just live here. Um, so you've got the grounds team, you've got facilities management, you've got um, projects team, because we're obviously always trying to develop the stadium. And then you go into your, your core sort of delivery staff. So your hospitality team, your ticketing team, your event management team, um, your crowd safety team. And so you've got all those. There's about 100 there. It expands again with the sort of third parties we have alongside us. So big uh, catering provider in Delaware, um, then the big uh, engineering companies that we've got with Honeywell and NG Bailey. So you can suddenly move up to about, about 180 on that. Now that they're the people that sit in this division day to day planning all events from can be a year out that we start to plan events. It can be even longer when it comes to big tournaments and they're there. When we get to event days, we go from that sort of 180 up to 5,000. Wow. And that that is the escalation you're talking because the transient workforce that has to come in here to deliver that. And that is the vast majority of them will be your food and beverage staff and your crowd safety staff, so all your stewards and all that. Okay. So you start to understand how big Wembley is. And um, Dave Grohl once said on an interview for the Foo Fighters, he said, Wembley's so big, it's an illusion. And it, it, until you work in aid, you realise that. So our level five, our level five on its own would be the 11th biggest Premier League ground, just on the, its own. Is it's that the, the upper tier? The upper tier is 39,000 seats. That's Goodison wow. Park. Right. So Goodison yeah. Park is 39,000. So that suddenly you realise the size of this stadium. So you've got a stadium at Goodison Park with all the staff required for that. We've got that for our upper level, you know, and then you go down to level one, the closest to the pitch, that's 35,000. So this is the vastness of what you have to deliver. And it is just a huge operation. And to make sure that all of that messaging, like you said, it's leaders talking to leaders, talking to leaders, Mm. that cascade all the way down to make sure that message gets to the front line is tough. It really is. So you've, you've got to set, your culture out right at the beginning of what it is you're trying to deliver and why you want to deliver. You make sure people buy into that culture, but you're then relying on this sort of huge uplift in transient staff who who are humans. And and I, I cannot ever say to you, don't worry, they're all going to be brilliant on the day because they're not. They're just not. They're just going to turn up and they're transient, but you have to manage it and you have to set your standards. So, yeah, it's I don't think people, until like I explain that about level five, realise the challenge you've got for delivering a stadium of this size. Yeah, now that puts, puts it into uh, into context there, just sort of comparing it to, to Goodison Park. It's it's an yeah. amazing, it's like an illusion that Dave Grohl says. You say that you may be working a year in advance of a particular event. Um, and when I assume sort of you'd mean like a, a Euros um, that we had recently. But once that event, has finished full time, has gone, or that the band have finished their encore. When would you consider the event over? So for that for that event, we have to load in an event and load out an event on average is about sort of nine days um, for that coming in. So by the time, like you said, you get to that finish point, football is easier because the overlay isn't huge. You know, there's a lot going on with branding and there's a lot going on in the players block, but the pitch is the pitch, you know, on that side. So that's a very quick, 
broadcast element because we broadcast all the time every event is broadcast apart from concerts that's different but football all sporting events are broadcast we have a lot of plug and play systems that we've invested in over the years to make the speed of getting in and getting out quicker the reason for that is because we'll we'll often be on back-to-backs with different um, broadcast partners so you'll have like the fa cup semi-finals this weekend um you know one game will be shown on ITV, one game shown on BBC. The, there are elements of uh, certain parts of their big broadcast units that they can share, but sometimes they might have to all move out and another one move in. So you have to be prepared that you can move things really quickly. So for an event of that nature, it'd probably be about 6 six a.m. the next day that you would go, we're clean of that last event that's moved on. Your debriefing for it, which is really important, carries on for another week. And because you're talking to trying to get information back from all the teams post events, from any kind of concerns that have come in from the public, have identified anything, you can never, ever rest on your laurels. You're always thinking, okay, and it's and it'll never be perfect. Live events are just not. So you're probably about a week later, but the teams are split in certain ways that they can overlap each other. So sometimes they'll be split into three on average in two. So they're basically leapfrogging each other. So whilst one team is dealing with that out, the other one's dealing with the next one rolling in and then what the advance of it is. So there's, it's constant. It's a constant movement, what's going on. But it's important for a stadium that can be multi-purpose to be able to move quickly. In 2014, we had England versus Peru on the Friday night, eight o'clock kickoff. On the Saturday, we had Frotch Groves, middleweight championship of the world. On the Monday morning, One Direction loaded in. So that's what the stadium has to be able to do. So this, when does it finish? Yeah, probably about, I would say, it's the guys have moved on away from it probably five days after the event. They've moved away from that event. If it's a repeat event that we see constantly, then they're already planning for next year's. They're already, those debrief points, those what happened on the day has already gone in it. So when it comes to the... The, re- the repeat events we see like the uh, playoffs, the cup finals, all of that side of things, they're already putting them into a folder ready to open again in six months' time. Yeah, I see. Just sort of touching on um, how these people come in and, and take over Wembley, um, I've, I've seen it mentioned that when a Champions League final comes around or, or the Euros, that UEFA come in and and take over Wembley is is that really the case do you sort of give it up for however long no absolutely not so we we have a safety certificate so every every football stadium has it and we're the same and the safety certificate sits with the stadium not not any event owner so event owner is as you said a UEFA whatever they'll all come out in with their requirements and it and that works right across the board that's from entertainment so you always hear about um, for concerts, artist riders and all these things. Now, artist riders isn't just blue M- M&Ms in the dressing room. <laughs> it, it's what do they want their show to look like? How do they want their crowd managed? So you'll get like Harry Styles has a lot of um, earlier packages. So people get in earlier. They pay more to get in earlier. And they'll get uh, um, positions like Golden Circle. So, and they'll want it run the way they want it run because they've been doing it all around the world. However, you can't, it's the same tent, but it's a different desert. And you have to make sure that your desert has a place in all of that planning and that you're in the middle of it all. So with UEFA, with, you know, the Champions League final for next year, you know, we've started planning that um, 
about two years ago um, wow. that we start talking to the guys on that. Um, they have their requirements, UEFA, but they are not allowed to take over because that safety certificate sits with us. So we run it. They have their needs and you'll have seen everything with the Paris review and everything that's gone into there for areas of responsibility. But for us as a venue, the core function is that we work closely with them. We have, look, I have more meetings with the likes of UEFA than I do with any other event owner. They go into the the minutiae of everything. They want to look at all those details, but our team are present. What you also get is you get this thing called a... LOS, a local organizing structure, which kind of sits in the middle of the two things. Now, what we're lucky with that is that that's our tournament team. So it's a director of tournaments, Chris Bryant and his team. Now, they worked on the Euros, both men's and women's. They worked on the finalists in the games and they were working on the Champions League. But they've got people in their team that used to work for me. So they know the venue and that's what they've done. And they sit in the middle to make sure that they're talking to AFI, understanding what they need. They're able to answer the majority of the questions coming in, but they're a conduit into me. So I'm never, ever in the dark on what's going on. So you would never let an event owner come and run your stadium. They have their needs. They have their requirements. And you will aim to meet as many of them as you can. And no is not the answer. You will be like, okay, that'll be difficult, but I think we could do it this way. So you're looking to adapt it to your venue. I see. You mentioned Harry Styles there. Of course, he's playing, is it three, four dates, I think, at, at Wembley? Four nights. Yeah, four, four nights at Wembley, um, which is the reason why uh, I believe England against North Macedonia was moved up to, to Old Trafford. I'm, I'm guessing that Harry Styles got in there first. Um, but is there a, a major difference between putting on a gig, Harry Styles gig, um, to putting on an England international or, or an FA Cup final? Yeah, there is. Um, and, and it goes for most events so that when they change that sort of genre, so boxing's the same. Um, the, the big thing is you, you change your safety certificate because you're now allowing people onto your playing surface. You know, there's right. something coming down. So your stadium, when it's designed, um, it's designed for people sitting there watching sport. That's the first design of the event. Even when it's multi-purpose, that's its first design. When it moves into alternative events, it means that people are now going to go onto the pitch. So you're looking at all your access points into there. Um, Harry Styles, the difference on there is the overlay for what's coming in is absolutely huge. There is a complete change of the player's block. So football is planned within an inch of its life. And by the time you get to match day, you're probably 95% of the planning is done and they'll all roll and they'll all do the same thing. Concerts are different because the way they're moving around and the size of their productions, they'll probably be at about 60% planning in advance and the other 40% when they land and they suddenly adapt your venue on the hoof, on the run. And it's like this runaway train hits you (laughs) and they want to come in and what would be the England dressing room suddenly becomes three rooms for somebody else and they'll put what's called pipe and drape, which is like a sort of steel structure with like nice drape hanging down and just to divide up those rooms or it becomes a family room or it becomes a lounge for Harry, but they're trying to look at, they've got all the support bands that are coming in. So where do they go? So what with football is very obvious. There's your dressing room. There's the referee's room. There's the doping room. There's the medical room with this. What was something? It could be a bar. They, you know, we had a Foo Fighters put a full working bar down in the player's tunnel. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because that's what they wanted and that's what they did. So when you see it adapted, it's you don't recognize it. 
you don't recognize what's happening downstairs they bring in their own catering um so touring people and it's at like michelin star level catering and but again it's all temporary overlay so they're coming in with kitchens they're, they're coming in with like five chefs and they're feeding 250 people because that's how many people are on the tour that's how many people are working backstage the way they build stages and the speed they do it at it's constantly, it can be 24 seven. They can come in on a Monday morning and run right through the night until um, Wednesday afternoon. And then all of a sudden another element comes in. It is, it's a, for, I, like I said, I worked in it for 14 years. It's when you're in the middle of it, it's amazing. If you're a venue who's not used to it and you're seeing more and more venues up and down the country, you know, Sunderland, Aston Villa, Anfield, um, um, Etihad Stadium, all of these people putting concerts in as additional revenue, they're not used to it. When they're used to delivering football, when there's runaway train hits in it, absolutely knocks them for six. Now, I'm fortunate that part of the thing I did when I moved in here was I started to headhunt people from multi-purpose arenas. Right. Because you can't just have people have football mind because last year we had 34 events. 16 of them were, were football. Um, then we had 16 concerts and we had NFL and we had boxing fury. So it shows you that diversity of the events are coming in. So your staff have to be able to adapt to that. And I think other stadiums struggle when they think, well, we'll just throw our commercial team at them because that's who looks after football operations. And they don't know what's coming. So, yeah, it is huge. The ask is different. It's completely different. Um, it is an event. So moving the public in and out, that bit tends to be similar. But remember, you're suddenly trying to put 23,000 people down onto your pitch that you've never had to do before. So what? how are you bringing them in? How are they going to access the pitch? Are all their safety routes, you know, in the right places to get them out? You have the rule of thumb is to get people to a place of safety within eight minutes. Okay. So you have to look at all of your crowd flows and moving people off your pitch. If that, if for any reason you ever had to press the big red button, can I get them away from the pitch to a place of safety in eight minutes? So they're all the questions you're now asking. Now for us, because we've been doing it for so long, they're all built in. But it is a changing mode for the team and it's exhausting, but it's also a huge adrenaline boost. Watching the team at the end of a concert season, they're out cold because they've carried themselves all the way through the concert season. They've loved it, the change. For us, we've gone through Mad May. Mad May is all of the finals, all of the playoffs. We then flip very quickly into concerts all the way through June into July. So by the time they get to the end of that, and we, we sort of pausing before the Community Shield comes back, team are wiped out. Yeah, I've gone on holidays where I've just sat on a sofa just staring at, at cricket. I don't even follow cricket, but I'll just sit there staring at cricket with a beer in my hand, just thinking... I'm dead. I'm just, it's gone. Everything's gone because your adrenaline's carried you through. So yeah, it's a huge difference. Uh, you, you, you do a grand job. I mean, I've seen a couple of concerts um, at both the, the the stadiums, the old one and the new one. Um, and it's, it's always, always been good. I know we're, we're running out on, on a bit of time here, but it's a couple of things that I'd sort of lighthearted maybe I'd like to, to touch on. I imagine that you've, you've seen a fair few stadiums around the world in your time. Have you ever thought, Wow, I'd like to bring that to Wembley or incorporate that into to Wembley from somewhere that you've seen. You do. You 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 always benchmark. It's just one of those because because what you've got might be brilliant, but you're right. People do things that are just just catch your eye on how they do it. Um, Amsterdam um, are brilliant for it. When when you go there, the Johan Cruyff, 
they even have an they have this innovation center downstairs and they bring in local companies it's like a dragon's den type thing and they bring them in looking for all the innovations they can get and that's something i'm now talking to our team here to going we need to set this up because they they give them sort of free rental in areas to come and work and then they get um the buy-in on whatever they invent and it can be anything from the things you've seen that are coming on market like lay and play pitches and they're the pitches that we're, we've now moved into and it's a pitch that's grown off site it, it's grown on a um fiber bed so it still has the same thing as the deso pitches which you see at a lot of premier league clubs so it has this sort of three percent plastic and then the rest of it's grass but it's grown off site it's basically um, scalped off the earth up there, rolled, mm. brought down to the stadium. And you can now, and the plan going forward for us will be a concert on the Saturday and we can have a five-star international match the following Saturday because this lay and play pitch can come in so quickly and it's already four months mature. Whereas in the past, in that summer period where we had to grow the grass following the concerts, we'd have four weeks to grow the grass ready for the community shield, but you would always deliver a juvenile pitch and a juvenile pitch is a slower pitch because it's not mature enough. The grass hasn't bonded enough. So the community shield will always be a slower game. Now, fortunately it's pre-season. So Pep and Jürgen don't give me too much grief. But it is one of those things that you are aware of. Now, with this lay and play, the Community Shield, we're going to be able to deliver something that is a four-month mature pitch. And that will be at top level, going exactly as it should be. And we can turn that around. And that opens up what else we can do in the stadium. So, yeah, you see these things at other venues and see why they've done it. And even like Tottenham, it's a stunning stadium. And when you walk around it and see what they're doing, you get very jealous very quickly just yeah. to thinking, oh, I wonder if we could get that in there. And you look at those ideas. And I think if you ever stop and do that and rest on your laurels, then you're going to be in a bad place, you know, and it's just, you've seen all the news about Old Trafford and lack of investment into the stadium and what's going. You've got to constantly invest. You've got to constantly look over the fence to see what other people are doing. Get jealous. Try and see if you can bring it in and keep yourself ahead of the curve. Don't ever rest on that we're iconic and, like I said, that history, because you'll soon run into a very cold and empty stadium because people won't want to come. So, yeah, go steal the ideas because people always come up with innovations that are stunning and you should look at them and go, can I fit that in? And and then I'll go with my begging bowl to the FA to say, this is where we need to go with the stadium. Because there'll be a return on that investment because if we keep doing that, We'll bring in more events, we'll bring in bigger events, and we'll bring that money in which, like I said earlier, we'll go back into grassroots football. So it's really important to go and do that. Yeah, well, I look forward to uh, picking some things out at Wembley I guess, uh, in the near future, going, oh, that's new, that's new. Uh, I wonder where they've nicked that from. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, and whilst you say um, you need to constantly look forward, is there anything from the old Wembley that you'd like to bring back, be it an event or or something special from it? I, I was never a fan of it until I saw it on a tour. And I remember, obviously, the old Wembley, and it's Speedway. Okay. And, yeah, because inside a stadium, and I saw it over at um, Principality, and inside there, the the roar of the, that noise inside the stadium was just something else. And like I said, it was, there was a speedway near me when I grew up in Bellevue in Manchester, but I never went to see it. And obviously it was on, they always use the Greyhound, but lay and play will actually give us this opportunity because 
we've always grown our pitch twice in the year, once um, for the summer, and then we would actually grow our pitch during winter. Um, now, our winter period, we have no events between middle of November and end of Feb for the Carabao Cup, but it would take 90 days to grow the pitch because it's grown under artificial light because the sun doesn't hit the pitch during that period. So now with lay and play, we don't have to do that. So now it opens up this new window for me to go and go, could I bring Speedway back to Wembley in sort of November, December time? You know, and these are the things. I also saw um, a NHL do a winter classic in uh, Boston and they do this thing in stadiums. They've done it in their um, Chicago or, or where was it? Uh, Illinois, I think it was. And they do these things. You suddenly get these opportunities to look at these weird and wonderful events that you could never, ever consider before. So, yeah, I think from the old stadium, I'd love to bring something like Speedway back in. Well, we shall, uh, we shall see. It's never happened there yet, then? No, never in the new stadium. No, we, we couldn't because the way the pitch is and the way the surround is, we couldn't get it in. Yeah. Um, but because I'd be able to completely remove it because of lay and play and just have protect the, um, the, the soil and sand that's underneath it, and then I, I think there's an opportunity to get something like that back. But, yeah, the new stadium's never had it. Uh, well, watch this space. Uh, and well, speaking of motorbikes, no chance of uh, an evil Knievel scenario again. Well, do, do you know what? Yeah, why, why not? Because it is crazy. <laughs> I've got actually behind me, I've got pictures of that on my wall. And there's like, there's one of the ski jumping, which is just ridiculous. <sighs> and there was ski jumping at the old stadium. But do you know what? They're, they're the things I want to look at. It's like, can we get the big sort of the big motorsport things back in here in that period? Because we can't at other points of the year, but now if we look at it, yeah, let's see what we can do. You know, it's one of those, build it and they will come, hopefully. Absolutely. Oh, well, well we shall see. I, I look forward to uh, these new potential features coming forward uh, in Wembley. It really is a, a venue of, as you say, memories. People go to experience those memories. And, and yeah, I, I've had a lot of memories, good good and bad there. Um, yeah. But, um, Liam, I... I thank you very much for your time um, and I wish you and your team a, a good anniversary um, come the 28th of April. Um, a, few, a few bits of cake going around, I'd imagine. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much, Russell. My many thanks to Liam there for his time. As he mentioned, uh, we spoke just before the recent FA Cup semi-finals. I must also thank Paul Collins and Emma Jane at Wembley for their help. Also to Richard Weeks for passing on my initial message. I really hope you've enjoyed the episode. Of course, for many of us, it's just going to Wembley for the event. We very rarely consider what goes on before, during and after So having that chat with Liam just gives us a little bit more of an appreciation. So maybe the next time you're on your way, going through the turnstiles, up to the bar, you'll now know why and how. Another thing, if you've not been on the Wembley tour, I can highly recommend it. Seeing some of those nooks and crannies that we don't get to see on an event day. It's just another insight into the workings of the stadium Uh, i've no doubt you can go to the wembley website and you can find that and with it being a hundred years we've seen the changes of the stadium makes you wonder what it will look like in another hundred years will it be bigger will it have a full roof i wonder if each seat will have a cup holder Uh, or maybe it will once again 
Host Speedway. Thanks as always for tuning in. My name is Russell Osborne. If you'd like to listen to any of the previous episodes, just look back on your podcast provider for Three Lions Podcast or the website threelionspodcast.com. And if you'd like to get in touch or follow the show on social media, then please do. Just search Three Lions Podcast. It's that simple. Uh, Really enjoy hearing from you. Uh, And I really do appreciate you listening. Without you and my guests, it would just be me waffling away. I'll be back with you very soon with some more England-related content. I hope you can join me for it. So until then, cheers. Cheers.